different. Today's the day. So uh, we've been going through the book of Acts in a message series called The Movement. And the book of Acts, the fifth book of the New Testament, it, it basically tells you the history of the Christian church. Like, how did this church that started from a small group of followers become what it is today, where it's just all around the world, a third of the earth's population claimed to believe that Jesus died and rose again, that he was the Son of God. And so we believe that, and we are a part of this large worldwide movement that continues to reach out. And so today what we're doing is we're wrapping up this study through the book of Acts, and we've been encouraging you to read the entire book yourselves. And so I hope, I hope many of you have actually done that and taken time to get into the Scripture and learn about the history of how the church was birthed. We've introduced several different characters in the book of Acts. One of them is a guy named Paul. Paul made probably the greatest mark on Christianity. Um, he was the one that was responsible really for taking the Jews or the, taking the message to not just the Jews, but really primarily to the Gentiles. He'd first go to the Jewish audience. He'd go to the synagogue, which is where the Jews would gather, and he'd talk about Jesus, their Messiah. Usually he'd get run out of the Jewish synagogue, and then he'd begin to proclaim the message to the to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. And so one of the things about Paul is that everywhere he went, he had opposition. Once things started getting more and more heated, more and more people began to challenge what he was saying. They would uh, come against what he was saying. They'd throw him out of the buildings that he would be talking in. He stirred up a lot of opposition. If you and I were a part of church planting um, efforts of Paul, and we were on his missions team, um, and you were like a passive individual, you were a non-confrontational person, you probably wouldn't have enjoyed being on Paul's team because it got crazy for Paul. All the time there was just opposition, opposition. So what I want to do this morning is kind of give you some of the high points of the opposition so we can ask some questions about our own commitment as we wrap up this series. He heads to this one place, this is in uh, Acts 13, where he heads this one place called the city in Antioch, and he gives this message in the Jewish synagogue to the Jews. He's giving this powerful message, and here's what happens. It says, when the Gentiles, the non-Jews, heard this, they were glad and they honored the word of the Lord. Everybody was, that were listening was like, man, this is great. And it says, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. People were responding because God had drawn them into a real relationship, and they were choosing to believe. The word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region, but the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they were that word expelled, it just means to drive out, to cast out. And so the, Paul and Barnabas were kicked out of this particular town. And it says that Paul and Barnabas shook the dust from their feet in protest and against them and went to Iconium. What that means is they basically like shrugged their shoulders and, you know, like in a sense, we tried. All right. And so they're going off to the next town. There wasn't any real like it doesn't say that they got beat up in this town. They were just physically driven out. They were expelled. So they were probably pushed out physically, but not beaten in this town. For most of us, this is probably the worst you'd ever encounter. Trying to be bold for your faith, like being maybe physically like told you can't do that here. Go somewhere else. This is probably the worst thing we'd ever encounter in America, I'm guessing. I was in Russia in the mid-90s for a mission trip, and we encountered something like this. This is on a scale of, of opposition. It's a pretty low-scale opposition, but it, it's, it really happened to Paul. Our team that I was a part of, we were physically expelled from a public gathering where we were singing songs, playing guitar, and kind of preaching a little bit to the crowds of people. There was people... 
we were giving away all sorts of free things to the children. And there was a large crowd, and people, some people walked up. They didn't like that. The crowd dispersed. The policemen that were there kind of turned away while these big giant men physically forced us to put everything away and to get off this public um, property. And we were happy to comply. These were huge guys. And uh, we go to our hotel, and everyone is shaken. Everyone's just like, oh, my gosh, what just happened? And um, this is our first night in Russia. We're really like, oh, my gosh, is this how it's going to be every day? Every day? And everyone's thinking, are we going to get beat up? And what's going to happen here? Well, honestly, that was, the, that was the only real opposition we had. And I think for as frightened as we are or as we were, it, it really wasn't that bad. There was actually something that welled up inside of us like, man, this is, this is kind of biblical. This is kind of exciting. Paul, however, he heads to the next town. And just the same thing happens. Look at what happens in the next town, in the synagogue. He first goes to the Jews in the synagogue. And it says, the people of the city were divided. He's preaching, and people are divided, just like in the last town. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and to stone them. But they, Paul and Barnabas, they found out about it, and they fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe into the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the good news. So, again, they're kicked out of one town. They're, they're aware of the fact that they're got, about to get stoned, and so stoned in the sense of rocks thrown at them. So they go to the next town. Again, just continual challenge, opposition. Then they go to this next town, which is called Lystra. In Lystra, they're preaching a message, and they're, they actually perform a miracle. And because they do this miracle, all the people there thought that they were the gods. So they started worshiping Paul and Barnabas and saying, you guys are gods. You must be like Zeus and... You've come down to us, and, and Paul and Barnabas says, don't, don't worship us. Get up. There is one true God. And they begin to preach about Jesus, and they begin to tell the story. of, And they're, they're right back into their message. And as Paul is preaching his sermon, right in the middle of his sermon, he's interrupted. And look at what happens. It says, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. So these are people from the two towns they were just preaching in. They, they find out Paul and Barnabas are there, so they're chasing Paul down. They win the crowd over. They stone Paul. They drag him outside of the city thinking he was dead. Basically, they beat him to the point that he was unconscious. And so they drug him out of the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, Paul gets up and he went back into the city. And I really wish I knew what he did with that. Like, what did he do? Did he finish his sermon? He's like, where was I? You know, he picks up where he left off. Don't exactly know what he does, but... He goes back to the city. My guess is he's finishing what he started. And then it says, the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Eventually, they get to all these places. They're, just, they're chased around by these angry mobs of Jews who did not believe Jesus was truly the Messiah, the Savior. And so, eventually, they land back in Jerusalem, which is kind of the church, the Christian church headquarters. One of the key church leaders were there. And not long after there, they, they resolve some issues, and then they're sent on another journey because... Paul, God was using Paul to take the message outside of Jerusalem into the Roman world, to get into the entire known world. And so they set out on another missionary trip, and they're just going to town, they're sharing about Jesus, trying to develop churches, and they go to the next town, and they're spreading this message. They get to this place called Philippi, which is kind of um, a gateway in a sense, because they have to cross the sea, and they've got to, and they take the gospel into Europe. But while they're in Philippi, they're preaching again, and they face more opposition. gets a little more intense. Here's what happened. The crowd joined in on the attack against Paul and Silas. 
Paul brought a different partner with him, this time a guy named Silas. And the magistrates, the local judges, ordered them to be stripped and beaten. So they're stripped, they're publicly humiliated, they're beaten. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. The jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell. That's like the maximum security. This is where you put the worst criminals. So they put Paul and Silas, not these criminals, but these guys that are sharing Jesus, they put them in the maximum security area. They fasten their feet in the stocks, and then look at what they do. Think about what would you do? You're already beaten publicly. You're stripped and beaten. You're humiliated. They flog you, which means they're whipping you and taking chunks out of your back and your stomach. And I mean, you're just imagine. And it says, look at what they do. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, and they're singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Most of us will never face this type of challenge. We live in a country where we're free to talk about our beliefs. And, you know, things may change. If you live long enough, things may change. And it may be illegal at some point. Or it may be too offensive. And so you may be restricted. But right now, there really isn't much opposition for us. Hey, someone's trying to get in the back door. If someone could run and let them in. Come all you who want to come in. But here's the question. How will we respond to opposition, to challenge? How will we respond today to challenges that come up? It's probably not going to look the same as what Paul encountered, but how will you respond? Right now, if you were to be bold with your faith, what is the worst thing that you think could happen to you? In America, in your, in your relationships, like what's the worst thing that could really happen? Probably rejection. We fear rejection more than anything else. We want to know that we're accepted. We want to know that we can fit in. We don't want to be ostracized. We don't want to stick out. But if Paul got caught up in the fear of rejection... Christianity would have never made it out of the first century. He, he didn't let fears, he didn't let opposition hold him back. Right before he's imprisoned for good, he heads, he's heading back to Jerusalem after his third trip. And he stops over to, to, to greet and say farewell to the leaders of the Ephesian church, one of the churches, again, that he had helped form leadership in. And he gathers the church leaders together, and here's what he says. He's about to say farewell. He says, when they arrived... Paul said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly. He wasn't afraid. He did it in the public, and he did it from house to house, meaning I think what he meant by that is I invested deeply in you. He did this public thing, but then I invested deeply. I, I showed you how to walk with God from house to house. This is kind of where... The church gathered was in the houses. They couldn't be gathering in public because of some of the persecution. So Paul was engaged in the more personal ministry as well. Then he says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. What he's saying now is, I'm going to the lion's den. I'm going to the hotbed of opposition. I'm not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So as he's preparing to go to Jerusalem, God is prompting in him just this sense of, I'm about to get in trouble. I'm about to be in danger. I'm going into harm's way. And the question I want to ask is, Paul, how do you keep going? Why do you keep doing this? Then he answers my question. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. What is your life worth? Think about, what is your life really worth? How, how, 
Could you make the statement, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Until the very end, Paul lived his life just laser-focused on spreading the message of Jesus. And now what he's doing is he's saying, this is why, this is the why behind my life. I want you to know, he's telling the leaders, I want you to know what I've lived my life for, what I've centered my life around. And he's saying, I'm going to pass this baton onto you. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm probably going to die. He's passing a baton. He's saying, this is how I've lived my life. Just super focused on this mission. And here's the question for us. Will we center our lives around this? Will we, will we build priorities around the mission of making Jesus known? Since the first century, there have been always people who've decided that the church needs to advance. The church must move. It must push out. And now it's really, it's our turn. It's our turn as a local church. God has handed each local church that, that worships around what we celebrate, the risen Jesus. He's handed us a stewardship. He's put something in our hand. He's saying, this is an opportunity. You have influence in your community. You have relationships in your community. You have a stewardship of people, of resources. What are you going to do? And he's saying, it's your turn. This is what God says to each church in every generation that decides we're going to be part of this movement that began 2,000 years ago and continues to this day. The book of Acts, if you'd have flipped to the end, Acts chapter 28 is the last chapter. It ends with Paul in prison. He was arrested in, in, he was arrested in Jerusalem, ends up in a prison in Caesarea, and then eventually he ends up all the way in Rome. Because he was a Roman citizen, he was able to appeal to appear before Caesar. And so he goes to Rome on a ship. There's a shipwreck. He gets to Rome before the charges from Jerusalem are even arrived. It's really interesting. He gets there. They don't even know what to do. They don't know what he's been charged with. They just know he's a prisoner. So they put him under house arrest while they're waiting for two years for his charges to arrive from the Jewish authorities back in Jerusalem. Three days pass. He gets there, three days pass, and he gathers all the Jewish religious leaders around. He, tell, he gets the word out and he says, tell all the Jewish leaders, this is all the opposition, tell them all I'm in prison, I want to talk to them. Paul can't even wait a week to like put some furniture up, put some, hang some pictures, relax, heal from some of the things he might have endured. He got bit by a viper while he was shipwrecked on it. He can nurse the wound or, you know, just relax. Three days into it, he's like, let's get this started. He gets all these Jewish leaders together and he begins to tell them about Jesus and they all want to hear, okay, Paul, you're the ringleader of Christianity. What, what is this all about? And he, he's like, well, glad you asked. He begins to preach about Jesus' life and his death. Well, right away, the Jewish leader's body language just turns negative and he, he's reading. They're not buying it. They're not getting it. And so, they think this guy's crazy. And at the end of the book of Acts, we get this final statement of Paul. This is the last statement that Paul says. Acts 28, 28. This is the last thing that we have recorded, at least. He's like basically saying, The Jews, you've rejected it. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. He's making a bold statement. He's saying, You Jewish leaders, God has done something in your midst. You rejected the Messiah, but it's okay. God is not finished. He's taking the message to the non-Jewish world and they're going to listen. He's saying, the Gentiles, the non-church people, they're going to embrace it and it's going to circle the globe and here we are. This was a prophecy 
But God spoke through him, and here we are. It has circled the globe. The Gentiles have embraced, non-Jewish people have embraced a Jewish Messiah, Jesus. Then it says, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house. He's under house arrest. And he welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's preaching Jesus, Jesus. And this is the one Jesus who allowed him to be imprisoned, beaten, shipwrecked, beaten some more. But no pity party from Paul. He's not saying, why did this happen to me, God? Instead, it says, boldly and without hindrance. You know, he was just preaching. This was Paul's life. Boldness until the very end. In chains, knowing that at any moment they could come in, take him out of his house, walk him up the road, and chop his head off, which is eventually what they did. Paul was released from the house arrest. Then he was rearrested. And then Nero, the, the uh, emperor, he had him executed by beheading. And at that point, the primary spokesperson of the church was silenced. But the church didn't stay silent. The church just kept pushing out. The movement, like I said, and have been saying that the movement had already begun. And so God was already at work. There have always been people that have believed the church is not a location. It's not a building. It's not an institution. It's not a hierarchy. Instead, it's a gathering. We're a gathering of people, a movement that requires boldness. This is what Paul started. Paul and others like him, they started this bold move of Christ's followers. And we've been handed the stewardship. Here's another question. Will boldness be a lifelong pattern of our lives? This was Paul's pattern. He was just bold till the very end. Or will we try to just kind of coast on the sidelines, live undercover lives? If you're here and you're not yet a Christian, then this really, in some ways, you can relax because this is for those of us who've decided to follow Christ. If you're investigating, then we really hope that you would connect with God. We're here to help you connect with God. But there's not any expectation on those of you who are investigating a relationship with Christ. You're still in the process, and we're, we're hoping that you're going to connect with God and that we can help you cross that line of faith. But for the rest of you, will boldness be a long-term, lifelong pattern of the way we do our life? Or will we just kind of run away from commitment? Will we just hide out? When we first started this church, it's been four years, as of last week, it was not just my wife and I coming here alone. We actually came with a team, and some of you know the story, but there was 12 of us. There were seven adults, five kids. We came here and we made some very, very bold commitments on our time, on our resources, and we said, we're, we're going to do this. We burned the ship, if you've ever heard that phrase. Like, We came from different communities. We sold homes and relocated what we needed to do. We moved here. We made bold commitments. Then we started, as we got here, we started trying to reach out, helping people make commitments. And then some of you began to join us. A few of you that were here in the beginning, you jumped on board and you said, yeah, we want to help reach this area. And you made some commitments. And over and over and over, people have been making some bold commitments. And so now here we are. And if we're going to keep advancing, everybody who would call this church family needs to get involved at some level. If this is your church family, we're we're asking you this morning to get involved at some level. All through this series, we've been looking through the book of Acts. We've looked at the boldness of the early church. And now it's, it's our turn. Some of you are here and you're Christians that have been a part of our church and you would call this your family, but you're sitting on the sidelines. You're not involved. And we're not mad at you. We just want you to get in the game. We want you to be part of what we're doing. We want you to move with us as we try to reach into this community. And this is the reason why. It's because we believe 
I believe, many of you believe that everyone spends forever somewhere. And we believe the hope of the world is Jesus. And we believe that the church is more than a building, but it's a gathering of people and we're on the move. We're trying to reach out to offer people this hope that we have, that we've experienced, that, that has changed many of our lives. And it's, it's a movement. And we're asking, would you move with us? We're inviting you to get involved. There's four areas that I want to encourage you to step up your boldness in. The first one is be bold with your invitations. Be bold with your invitations. And for those of you that maybe this is your first Sunday or you're kind of catching us at the end of the movie, you might say. And you come in at the end of the movie and you see, well, I wonder what's, I don't know any of the things that have led up to this point. If that's you, just bear with us. This is kind of the end of the movie since this is the seventh part of a, of a series that we've been looking at this book. But be bold with your invitations. There are people that you've thought about inviting to something for a long time. You've thought about inviting and you still haven't done it. It's time to, to kind of ramp up your boldness in your invitations. To be bold. Why? Because all of us, every single year, need to experience church through the eyes of an unchurched person. We need that for our own growth. God just teaches us so much. We, get all, we take all this stuff in at church. We store it all up in our head. If we don't do something with it, man, we're going to pop. We can only handle so much. Some of you guys are college students. and You get it here and you get it twice at school. And it's just... Pretty soon you're going to burst. The outlet that God gives us is, is getting around people that do not know Him and beginning to invest your time in them, to begin to pour out what God is doing in your life into the lives of people that are unchurched. You will grow so much. Not only do they need the message, but we all need that challenge to help others grow because it keeps us sharp, it keeps us fresh, it keeps us depending on God. If we stop inviting, if we just decide, you know, we're going to make this all about who's here, if we stop inviting, over time we're slowly going to become a very insider-focused congregation that is not concerned with those on the outside. We're just concerned with making sure everybody is well-fed and has the right brews of coffee and comfortable chairs. And We want to reach out. This is why the church exists. This is what we need. A simple summary of our strategy, you might want to write these words down, is invest and invite. Just to sum up something we believe deeply is invest and invite. As far as inviting people... You invest your time in the people that are around you. Invest your time in loving and serving the people you live near, the people you play sports with, the people you work with, the people that, that you know are far from God, the people that, you, that your kids play sports you know, with. Those, get to know those parents. Invest your time in them. Then when it's time to invite them to something, something that we're talking about, like a, you feel like, man, that would be perfect. I, I feel like they could get a lot of that out of that series. We're coming up into a season where we're going to be dealing with some things that people are going to want to come to. There's some events we're going to be promoting that people are going to want to attend, but we need everybody involved in inviting. And if we will make this commitment as a congregation, we'll stay on track through the years. We'll stay on track, focus on what God has called us to do as a congregation. We won't turn inward if we'll keep being bold with our invitations. The second thing I want to encourage you to be bold in is in your volunteering. Be bold in your volunteering. I'm not much of a hugger. stated this many times publicly. Not much of a hugger, but I am more of a handshaker, kind of a fist, fist pumper. But there's all sorts of people that are here that just deserve great big hug from me and from others on our staff because we're a church that, that we're volunteer-driven. I think we have five paid staff members and well over 100 volunteers 
well over 100. And I don't know what the percentage is of our adult tenors that volunteer on a team, but so many of you that, that do, I just, you know, if I could hug you all in big one group, big hug, just feel it right now. It's, it's, we could not, we've said this so many times, we could not do this with just our staff. And there are a bunch of you who serve so faithfully. There are people who serve in kids' zone so that adults can be in here. So all of you that are adults, you can be in here and to worship and to be a part of what God is doing. You're able to just relax knowing your kids are taken care of. Someone is not just babysitting your kids. They're trying to drive an anchor into their life so that when adulthood comes, they can only drift so far. They're trying to help kids really nail things down with God. This is so important what we're doing with our kids. They're not babysitting back there. But for those of you who serve in our kids' zone, just so, so grateful. Thank you for all the people that set up our kids' zone classes. All the men and women that set up and tear down those things. Thank you for all the people that set up all this stuff in our band. Thank you for our band and the time you put in in the middle of the week. Thank you for the people that interpret in the American Sign Language when we ever need it that are part of our congregation. Thank you for, for those of you who serve in our office midweek to help us prepare for Sunday. For those that set up coffee and sight and sound stuff. And for the people that just pitch in, in in different ways. For the guys that get up at 6, six in the morning probably, leave their homes at 6.30 Go hook up a trailer and drive all of our equipment to this location because we don't own this building, in case you were wondering. As much as we'd like to own it debt-free, it's not ours. We just set, our, we set up all of our stuff in here. But we appreciate all of our volunteers. You guys really are amazing. Don't think, you know what, I would serve, but I'm too busy. Because here's what I want you to understand. Every Sunday that you come to Orange Crest Community Church, you are served by very, very busy people. Everybody that has decided to jump in is busy. And so it's everybody that does a little that gets the the big job done. So we're ramping up. We need more volunteers. We have so many people serving already, but we need a lot more. And so we would just encourage you to jump in, to to be bold in your volunteering. Some of you men that serve in KidZone, we have a gender-based curriculum in our first service. And we're eventually going to move to both services to where the boys learn from men and the ladies learn from, from women. And we'll deal with, we have the classes broken down by gender so that we can teach kids in the way that they learn the best. And those, those of you men that teach in our first service, you understand, again, it's not just babysitting kids. You understand that when you, when you get down your eyeball to eyeball with some kids that have no male role model, no male influence in their life, and you're helping them understand how to love God. And they see this big man that loves God, and they... That, that begins to make a deep impression on these kids. And so what we're doing, some of you are college students, and you're involved. Some of you are involved. You, you're, you're serving on our teams. We just want to encourage you. We want to thank you for that. Sometimes when we talk about volunteering or other things, people get disgruntled, and they leave. And so they go look for a church where they can just blend in. But the problem is we all have been hardwired with some gifts. If you're a follower of Christ, God has hardwired you with some gifts that He wants you to use in the local body. And so even if you think, I'm tired of them asking for my time, or and you go somewhere else, and you, you sit on the sidelines, they're going to want you to be involved as well because God has hardwired us to serve. He's hardwired us to volunteer. God has shaped us. The third area is be bold in your giving. In the area of generosity... Our ability to plant this church was dependent on the generosity of another church. The fact that we got this thing off the ground 
was because there was another group that was so generous that they made time and room in their budget to help fund what we were doing here. And so I need you to be bold in your giving. As a church, we need everyone to be bold in our giving. Not because, and hear me, not because we need your money. We don't need you to be bold because we need your money and we're desperate for it. I'm actually excited to announce that we're making financial progress. Last year we were struggling, but we've more than caught up. We came to a point recently where we paid off $15,000 in the last two months of our startup debt that we've just been floating over the last four years since we started. Money that we use for you know things like some of the things that we use. And so I'm just extremely grateful. We don't need your money to do what we're doing right now. But if we're going to raise up people who are going to be sending out teams of people to launch new churches, just like we were at one point being sent out to start this church, if we're going to raise up by discovering and then developing people to send out a planter and a team and a worship leader and a group to help start another church that's reaching the unchurched in another city, that is going to cost a lot of money. It's going to cost a lot of resources. Here's the good news. The money is in the bank. It's just in your bank. If we're going to reach out, the money is here. It's just in, in your bank accounts. It's in my bank account. If we would decide, if those of us who are part of this church family, and you would say, this is my church. This is my church. If everybody would decide, I'm going to be involved in the area of giving. And I'm going to be growing to the point to where I, I reflect the pattern. If you're a Christian, to where you reflect the pattern of New Testament giving, which is giving a tithe. That, that's, I wouldn't ask you to do something I haven't been doing. The families that launched this church from the very beginning, they made a bold commitment. We're going to give a tenth of what we earn. That's going to go to the work that God's doing in our church so that we can advance this. And we had a vision for what God would do, and now God has really blessed the work here. But we need more people to say, I'm going to, I'm going to be growing in my giving. I'm going to be bold in my giving. I'm going to be generous. If you're a church member or a church attender and you have a job, then you can't stand on the sidelines while, while people are pitching in so that you can enjoy all that you benefit from if you're a follower of Christ. That's something that we're not able to do for very long without God beginning to say, you know you need to get involved. If you're a guest, if you're not yet a follower of Christ and you're here, maybe you're married and one of you is a Christian, one isn't, and you're in the process. I, I understand that you need to be on the same page. And so if you're a guest and you fit in that category, we have no expectation that you would give to our church. We do not depend on your giving to our church. We're actually giving so that you can be here. We want you to experience God. We don't want money to be a barrier that would prevent you from connecting with Him. And so please do not feel like this is aimed at you. For the rest of us that are part of this family, let's, let's get in the game. Let's not be on the sidelines. The last thing is this. Would you be bold in your prayers? This is really a summary of what we saw in the book of Acts. They prayed bold prayers. And I want to encourage you to add bolder prayer requests to your life. We can still keep praying for God. Would you get me there safely? Would you, would you help me to get healthy? Would you help my kids to pass their tests? We can pray all those prayers for our family, but add some prayers that really risk some things. Ask God to do some things that you just can't imagine Him doing. Here's a few suggestions. Would you start praying for the person at work with you that is far from God and you know they, you can't imagine them coming to church? You feel like having them come here would be a miracle. Well, start praying for them. If you don't pray for them, who else is going to pray for them? Pray for that person. Here's another thing you can begin to pray for. There are all sorts of churches across our country that are, that are not using 
they're, they're kind of in a, a decline. They, maybe they began to decline 30, 40, 50 years ago. At one point, they were on mission. They were focused. They were reaching people. And at some point, they started turning into decline. And they've slowly been spending down their assets. They're holding on to millions of dollars of resources. They're kingdom, kingdom resources that are in churches of less than 20 people all across our country, and they're dying. And they're slowly spending down their resources rather than saying, we want, to, we want to bless. And there are many, many churches that are handing those resources to churches that are just getting off the ground. And they're saying, hey, we want to launch churches with this money. We have these groups of 20 people who are faithful to steward all these resources. And then they, they sell those properties and they bless the church planting world. And I would just ask you pray for that. Pray that God would put to work some of those underutilized assets that are in American churches. Also, I'd, I'd encourage you to pray for our kids. Pray for the kids in our kids' zone. Pray that they don't get swept away by this culture. And that would devastate some of us parents. Pray that our kids don't get swallowed up by the values of this world. Pray for your kids. Pray for the kids of this church that God would, in our church, raise up the next righteous generation of church planters, of missionaries, of, of pastors, of teams of people that would launch churches. Start praying those bold prayers for, for people that are in our, in our midst. Another bold prayer request is related to our students. You may have noticed we have a few college students that come around our church. And they're all from, for the most part, they're all from Cal Baptist University, which is my alma mater. Love that school. Graduated from there. And uh, would you pray for that group of students? There, we, we did a hard number study on the, the makeup of our church, just because I was curious. I'm beginning to see more and more young people I'm like, I really like to find out how many, what's the breakdown? 56% of those adults that attend here are under the age of 30. And then 40, whatever, I do them, I can't do that, 44% are, are over that age. But there's a real opportunity amongst the young people that are in our church. Would you pray for the students from Cal Baptist who live on a Christian campus and have chapel twice a week, well, once a week, sometimes twice a week if they're forced to go, but then they have church here, and many of you are involved, and you're serving. And I realize that you don't just fall out of bed and you drop into our seats. It's actually like a 15 to 20 minute drive to get from CBU to here. Um, there are many students that do not get involved in a church while they're in, in college. And so I, I just encourage you, while you're training for your career, and you're thinking about what God is wanting you to do professionally, and you're getting all this training, do not miss the opportunity that He's asking you to steward with your life right here, right now. I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad you're part of our church. We, we believe that you guys are a stewardship as well, like that God has sent you our way. We want to steward the opportunity. We want, to, we, want to help. we want to help you reach people. If many of you who are students would partner together with others on your campus to think, how can we reach out in our city? Many of you are willing to reach out worldwide and go on mission trips. If you'd also consider, what, what could we do here in Riverside? Before my time in college is over, before I launch into my career, God, would you use me to reach and to partner with my church so we could reach this area of the Inland Empire in Southern California? We're praying for you. If you're, if you're a student and you're not involved, we, we would invite you. Don't stand on the sideline. Jump in. Don't, don't dabble around in church during your college years, but invest deeply. I'm going to invite the band to come up here, and we're going to conclude our our service. But this, this movement began 2,000 years ago with the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. He appeared and 
This group of people took this movement and they pushed out, and here we are. This movement has just continued to reach out, and it's been entrusted to us for a season. It will go long after we're dead. Until Christ returns, the church will advance. And so a big question we have to ask is, will we choose as individuals, will we choose our past over our future? So many times I talk to people who had this spiritual high in the past where they were doing this, they were going there, they were in these studies, they went on this trip, and they're all living in the past spiritually. And God is saying, don't choose the past over the future. God wants us to use He wants to use us all now. He's hardwired some things in all of us. If we wait for someone else to do it, the opportunity passes us by. We need to get in the game as a church. And so I'm encouraged just by what God has been doing in our midst over the last several uh, months especially. But I'm excited. But this is a season where we usually have have more people coming to our church in the spring. And so I would encourage you to be involved in that as we try to reach out in this area. Take out that connection card and see on the back it says, My Next Steps. If you feel like, you know what, I have been on the sideline, I need to get in the game, would you check one of these and let us know so that we can help you get connected in one of these areas or we can help you get the tools to deepen your commitment. The first is pray daily for blank. Put someone's name there. If God's put someone on your heart that you want to pray for, to boldly invite, pray daily for that person. Nobody else is praying for them, most likely. Take a bold step. Here's some suggested steps that's related to giving. Start giving. Begin tithing. Stretch myself or automate my giving. If you would join with those that already automate their giving, that's a huge help for our church. That prevents you from forgetting about giving or, or from just overspending. If it's in your budget and you automate it, like so many do, it just it keeps you from robbing God it, helps you to give God your first and your best every month. Another thing is begin volunteering on a ministry team. Send me info. If you check that, we will make sure to connect you. You might have a special circumstance and you might be really busy and we understand that. We'd love to have a conversation. If you're at a point where you're like, you know what, been on the fence. I just need some help figuring out where I could serve. We'd love to help you serve. We have people that serve midweek if that's kind of the issue for you. So, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we We just thank you for the stewardship of the local church. You've entrusted it to us as a group, as a gathering of people who are on the move for you, God. We try to be faithful, God, with with our focus. We try to be faithful to stay on mission for you. We try to clearly communicate to people who are joining with us what we're all about so they would know and be able to evaluate if they want to band with us. Lord, I pray that you just instill deeper convictions in our hearts related to boldness, God. Help us to be bolder in all these different areas, God. We don't want to be let off the hook for many more years, God. I pray you just hold us to a high standard because of this gift that you'd offer us in your son, Jesus. Lord, we love you. Would you do just amazing things in and through us, God? Would you stretch us in ways we never thought we'd be a part of, Lord? I pray that you'd just challenge us this season, spring, God. For those that are here that have not yet decided to follow you, I pray that you just continue to do your work in them, helping them to understand that you love them, that you've made a way for them to connect with you, to be forgiven of their sins, and to begin a new life, God, that's full of hope, full of meaning, full of purpose. Lord, would you help us to help more people to connect with you, the living God. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray together.